Your Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Well, it's so wonderful having you online with us today. And if you've not been at one of our on-site services, I'd like to assure you that we're doing everything in our power to keep it as safe and as clean as possible. And it would be really nice having you joining us there for a live worship experience. We'll be just gathering together as the body of Christ. So if you've not joined us on on-site, I'd love to invite you to come and join us there. Today we ending off our series called I'm In, and it's a series about money. Yes, you heard me right. It's the series about money. If this is your first time joining us, I'd just quickly like to recap on why do we actually preach about money within Doxadeo Central and Doxadeo Park. Why do we preach about money in this family? Well, I think there's two reasons. The first one is that when you look at Jesus and what he had to say about money, we discover that he actually had a lot to say about money. You see, in the Bible, there's about 500 verses on the topic of faith, but there's 2,000 verses relating to the topic of money and possessions. So that's the first reason. The second reason why we're speaking about money, I mean, if Jesus spoke about it so a lot, he probably had a lot to say about this. And what's really interesting, and that's the second reason, is even though Jesus spoke so much about money, there is not one moment where we see Jesus speaking about money to get money. He never speaks about it and then sends around a basket to ask for money. No, instead he speaks about money because as we've seen in week one, we've said Jesus wants us to be all in. Not just I'm in, but I'm all in. And here's the reason why. Because Jesus says that there is a connection between your money and your heart, where your heart is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then we dived into week two. That was last week. And we looked at the reality that you and I, when it comes to our money, we have an opportunity to invest. And Jesus calls us to be invested into his kingdom. Why? Because we care for the things that we invest in. And we invest in the things that we care for. That's, that's the case. So we have been really challenged by Jesus in these past two weeks. And in week three, I'd like to kick us off with a question. I want to ask you a question that you quickly maybe should consider. It goes as this. What do you worry about most in life? What's the number one worry as you're sitting right there at home, wherever you're looking at this sermon? What's the number one worry in your life? So maybe your kids. So maybe getting everything done and sorted, so maybe business-wise, maybe your house, so maybe some other financial trouble that you're going through, so maybe your past, so maybe what other people might think of you and you've been plagued by that worry your whole life long. What is your number one worry in life? There has actually been a study done on the top five worries that people experience all around the world. So the top five things people worry about on a daily basis goes as follows, starting with number five, working our way up. At number five, people worry about their past. Now I must say I found this very interesting because your past is something that you can do absolutely nothing about. Number four, people worry about what other people think of them. Now with this one, I can put both my hands up. 
it's something that I can relate to and I'm serious. I think all of the teenagers out there would be able to relate to as well. It's something clearly that many people are struggling with coming in at number four. Number three is people worry over their health, worry about <clears throat> healthy choices that we're making. How am I going to deal with my health and so on and so forth. Second, coming up second, people worry about work. I believe most of us can relate to that. And then lastly, the number one worry around the world for people is money. Yes, you heard me right. Money is the number one worry for everyone currently in the world, statistically. So, according to science, the number one reason why people go to bed at night, worried, why they can't sleep, why they think to themselves, um, I'm in trouble, is because of money. So, for this week, we decided to call the sermon title, I'm in trouble. Because when it comes to money, there isn't one space in people's lives that gives us more anxiety and more fear and more worry at night than money. So we're going to talk about that. And maybe you're not surprised by now if you've been journeying with us. But once again, Jesus comes in. It's as if he knew this was the case. This was to be true because Jesus kicks off on a topic when it comes to money. And as we've discovered, he says, your money is directly connected to your heart. And as you're going to discover in today's sermon, some of us might have budget money problems and some of us might have heart troubles. So some is in budget troubles and some of us might be struggling with some heart troubles when it comes to the source of our worries in life. So let's dive in and read and see what Jesus had to say and discover what he had to say about our money troubles when it comes to our worries. Matthew chapter 6 verses 24, very famous portion of scripture. Jesus kicks it off. He speaks about money and then he goes into the topic of worry. Listen to this. He says the following. No one can serve two masters, for you will either hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. Right next verse. Listen to this. After he said this, he says, that is why, because of this, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? We're only going to read this far. Now, really interesting, you can see how Jesus kicks off his talk about anxiety and worry and troublesome thoughts in our hearts and in our minds. And he kicks it off with money. He introduces it with you can't serve two masters. Now, in this portion of scripture, there are three things Jesus tells us about our worries and its connection to our money. Firstly, he tells us the cause of our worry. Secondly, he dives in to tell us the irony of worry. And thirdly, he gives us the cure. So we're going to look at those three things, the cause 
the irony, and then lastly, the cure. So let's dive in first. The cause of our worries, our troubles, our money troubles is in this verse, verse 27, Matthew 6, 27. It says the following. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? You know, this sounds so much like my mom's fridge magnet. She had these fridge magnets at home and uh, with little pieces of wisdom on them. And the one spoke specifically about worry. It said the following. It says, worry is like a rocking chair. Yes, you heard me right. That's what I'm saying. Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying exactly the same thing. He's saying to worry is like a rocking chair. Why? Because a rocking chair gives you and it gives me something to do, but it brings us nowhere in life. It keeps us busy. It's a mindless activity. It adds nothing to your life. Jesus asking the question, can it add a moment, a single moment to your life? Do you really have control over the big things in life? Or are you just enjoying a nice rocking chair moment in the afternoon, drinking a coffee maybe? The reality is worry is a worthless activity. In fact, in the Huffington Post, they had this little article that was a study done on people's worries and how it related, and how it actually played out. Here's what they found about worrying for people, for you and me. The first thing that they discovered was that 85% of what we worry about actually never even happens. Do you hear what I'm saying? They've discovered that 85% of the time that you're sitting and worrying about things that might happen, you're wasting your time because it's not even going to happen. And then they found further on that the other 15% that actually happens, people have discovered that that 15% of it, 80%, 79% of it, basically 80% of those events that actually did happen was either not nearly as hectic or as big as they thought it would be, firstly, and secondly, they all said it added meaning to the life. They had a meaningful lesson going through that process. So in conclusion, this Huffington Post article reads as follows. It says, 97% of what you worry over is not much more than a fearful mind punishing you with exaggerations and misinterpretations. It's saying we're worrying about things that we can't control. That's what it's saying. And in fact, that is the cause of our worry. Because worry is the urge that we have to control the uncontrollable. If you think about it, that's the cause of our worry. And then, here's the irony. So the cause is the urge to control the uncontrollable. The irony is that the things you and I worry about are the things that control us. Yes, you heard me right. The things you worry about every single day are the things that's controlling your life, your actions, your steps that you make, your decisions. Every single thing that you do is controlled by the fears in your heart. Think about it for a moment. If you worry about what people think of you, if that's the case for you and for me, probably you're waking up every morning analyzing everybody's move and everybody's thoughts, all their actions when they give you that look like they've woke up on the wrong side of the bed. You're thinking, oh, what did I do wrong? What have I just done wrong that they might look at me like this? And you're absolutely overwhelmed. You're governed, you're reigned, you're ruled by people's opinions, people's actions toward you because that's the one thing that they should just never not like me. 
Maybe you're governed by uh, the worry of your job. There is an article in the New York Times that read the following, making this statement, saying that in New York, it's seen to be the new city of child sacrifice. That's the capital where people sacrifice their children for their jobs. So they sacrifice time, they leave them, they don't spend time with them. That's actually what it's getting to. What's ruling your life that you would give up something so special? The only thing I can think of is the fear, the worry, getting that promotion, um, getting that new opportunity, that business deal, whatever it may be. Whatever you worry about controls your life. Here's the thing that I, maybe to sum it up in this one little sentence, and this is why I think it's such an irony, is you worry to get control, why worry gets control of you. I'm going to say it again. You and I, we worry to get control, while this worry gets control of us. And in no other case is it more true than with money. Jesus makes this statement so clear in the beginning of this portion where he likens money to mastering. He's saying money is a master. It's something that can master you. It's something that can control you. Like worry controls you. If you worry about money, it's something that controls us. It keeps us captive. Now you might ask the question, how does money ask? How does it master me? How does it control me? How is this thing possible when it comes to the topic of money? Well, money controls you and it controls me by giving us a false promise. The promise of control. The promise of false control. Actually, there are two specific traps that money sells to you and to me for false control. The first one is the spending trap. Where money tells us that whenever things go wrong, you can control your present with me. If you have me, you can control your present circumstances, your current situation. I mean, just think of it for a moment. When you're in a tight spot, when your budget's not working out, what's the one thing you think of? Yeah, I just wish I had more money. When I, when I need to go on leave, when I've had a really rough week and a rough month, I just wish I had more money because that would allow me to get some more rest. There's this trick that if we have more money, we have more control and it's a false sense of control. Even if I had a bad day. I'm thinking about maybe I should just go and buy that chocolate or that McDonald's or that new clothing item, that new handbag, that new pair of shoes, whatever it may be for you. Money tells you you can buy your own happiness. You can buy your own joy. And if you had enough money, you'd probably know that's not true. So the first trap that it traps us into false control is the spending trap. The second trap, which I believe many people don't even realize or know about, is the savings trap. Yes, you heard me right, the savings trap. This is the place where money tricks you into the capacity and the possibility of you controlling your future. I'm not talking about you preparing for your future. I'm talking about you controlling your future. That's where you start worrying about your pension fund and your future funds saying, I will be able to be in control if I have enough. As if you have control over your life. You know, it wasn't too far back that I made a, a decision that led to a horrible circumstance where I invested money in a, in, a, in a space and an opportunity that would make it grow very quickly.
And um, this investment was obviously the wrong investment because I hoped and I trusted that if I would put money into this investment, me personally, you know, I'd get big sums and I can deal with all of my debt that I'm facing. And maybe I'll create this wonderful, nice, comfortable, big pocket of money for my future. Needless to say, I lost everything in the investment. And I discovered something truly remarkable. Because when you see that money cannot give you security, because here it's one day, the next day it's gone. Just like I saw with my investment. And just by the way, while I did that investment, it was like an every three hour check up moment, checking on my phone, seeing what's happening. Should I buy more? Should I get more? Should I sell? Is this the right thing to do? Should I move money? All of that stuff. It consumed my world. It controlled every thought. It controlled even my actions. I would wake up in the morning. First thing I check, check my investment. I would go to bed tonight. First thing I check. Last thing I check at night, check my investment. It absolutely ruled every move I make. And it wasn't about preparing for my future. It's trying to control the outcome of my future. So money traps us into a false sense of control. Maybe now you're sitting in a place where you're asking, well, what's the cure? Maybe you've been trapped either by spending or by saving to try and control your future. So what's the cure for this? Well, Jesus gives us two things. In this portion of scripture, he says there's two things that you need to come to grips with. The first one is that you need to realize that you're not a master, but you are a servant. Here in the very first verse, verse 24 of Matthew 6, Jesus makes it clear. He says, no one can serve. Who's, who's that no one? It's, that's you and me. We're called servants. No one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one or inspire or love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. In this little verse, there are two things likened to being a master. It's either God or it's money, but it's not you. You and me, we are likened to being servants. The Bible tells us that we were built for servanthood, for stewardship. We are stewards in this world of what God has given us. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but to be a steward is something quite profound. In biblical times, and I don't know how many people know this, but a steward was the number one slave in the master's household. He was the one slave that the master trusted to rule and run his estate for him. A good example of this is Joseph um, being the steward, the number, one, the number one slave in part of his house, and then later being um, stepped up to and being entrusted with being the number one in Pharaoh's house. And you see, to a steward, only the master was his true place where he was actually seen as a slave. So he was a slave only to his master. But to everyone else, he was a king because he ruled and he reigned that house. Here's the thing about stewardship. A, stewardship. a steward's heart should be 100% aligned with the interests of his master. If that's the case, if a steward's life is focused and dependent on what his master wants, loving whatever his master loves, obeying his master's every single command, 
The result is that the master trusts him with more. He grows in authority. So let's quickly get practical about this. You and me, for a moment. If that's the case, if we follow God, follow Jesus, and we realize that we are actually stewards, we're not owners, we're not masters, what does it mean to steward God's money? Have you thought about that? Well, I believe the first step to stewarding the money of God is tithing. Yes, you heard me right, it's tithing. But just before I quickly break that down to you, see there is this little misconception about tithing because when I tithe, God will look after me. It's almost like I give, I pay God money and then he blesses me. It's um, uh, if I am faithful to my tithe uh, towards him, then maybe he'll love me or he will look to me with favor. It will go well with me. Can I just say this misconception is just a little trick, a little lie. If you think that is what tithing is, it's nothing else but a little scheme to try and control God's blessing and favor over your life. That's not at all what tithing is. Tithing is not a way to control God. No, no, it's a way where we say God is in control of me. That's what tithing is. It's a moment of surrendering. It's a moment where I acknowledge that everything I have, including my money, is His. It belongs to Him. So every single month, I'm just going to share with you what I do. I take 10% of God's money and I give it to God's church. Yes, you heard me right. I'm going to say that again. Every single month, I take 10% of God's money and I give it to God's church. I don't take 10% of my money because it's not mine. It is His and He's entrusting me to steward it. He's given me the authority to rule over that. And he's asking me to put him first in every area of my life. So I deduct 10% before tax of everything that I receive. And I put it first into a space where I believe he's calling me to do that. Now, <clears throat> I'll be honest with you. There has been some months that God has challenged me to go above 10%. To trust him for more. You say, Lorraine, I don't know why, but he's urged me to go above 10% in terms of giving. Then, I'll also be honest with you that the first time that I started tithing, I never could have made 10%. It was way too far of a stretch for me. But the move was just to start, to proclaim that I'm a steward and not an owner. To proclaim that God is master of my life and not money. Because if money is, your worries will never end. Now, on a practical note, I know sometimes I forgive. So this is something very important to me. And therefore, I automate it. I put it down. I EFT every month this. And I know for some of us, this is where we have budget troubles. This is where we forget. We don't steward well what we have received and sometimes it's just because we forget. It's nothing to do with our heart. It has to do with our skills. So I want to invite you, if you want to know more about what does it mean to steward God's money for God's purposes, the money that is entrusting to you, I would like to invite you to our Money Matters course that will be starting quite soon. You can sign up for that. And where we get down and practical on how, what does it mean to steward my money in a way 
that points to Jesus, that honors Jesus, that honors God. So, that's the first thing. You need to realize you're not a master, but a steward. Secondly, if I leave you here, you'll probably go home and try better to work with your budget, do your things better, pay your tithing, and, and it might last for a month or maybe two. But Jesus knew there is something else that we need. We need a power to drive us to live like this. We need to see something that gives us the capacity to live as generous and stewards of what God has given us. So the number two thing that he gives us to cure us is that we have a good master. Listen to this, verse 25, right after he speaks about masters of your life. He says, that is why I tell you, not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Yes, you heard Jesus right. He's saying, do not worry. About what? About, about the elementary stuff in life. About what you're going to be eating, what you're going to be wearing, what you're going to be drinking. Don't worry about those things. Even though money promised to give you access to all of those things. He says, don't worry. If God is your master, don't worry about it. And you're like, Jesus, sorry, uh, I don't think you're living in 2021. Let me just explain to you how it works here. You have kids, you have a car, you need to drive, you need to make food happen, you need to work half day, maybe sometimes full day. Then you need to get home, you need to get everything sorted for the next day. There is so much worry and so much struggle and so much busyness going on around me. Uh, what do you mean, do not worry? And then Jesus says, yes, I say, do not worry. Um, look at the birds. And then, <laughs> that's, that's when you're like, What? What do you mean, look at the birds, Jesus? What do you mean, don't worry, look at, I don't have time to look at the birds. And this is where we really get starting, you know, it's getting worked up within us. Like, I don't have time for this. What do you mean? Simple activity, looking at, I, I'll go on vacation and maybe look at the birds, but I really don't have time to do that now. I'm way too busy and I'm way too much worrying about things. And Jesus says, no, stop, don't worry, look at the birds. Why? He gives us a reason. He says, they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. Do you know what I find interesting in this portion? Firstly, Jesus starts off with God as a master. He ends with him as a father. You see, a, a master cares about his things, but a father cares about his children. He cares about you. That's the kind of master we have. And then secondly, he says, you know, these birds, they don't store up things in barns and foods. Let me just contextualize that for you in our, in our context. It says they don't go to university. They don't have a big savings account and big investments. In fact, every year they build a brand new home for themselves. Then they come back the next year and they build a new one. Why? The father looks after them. He is a good master. He is a good father. And then he lands it, he like bow ties it right to the end when he says this climax moment, asks the question to you and to me and saying, and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Aren't you far more valuable? You see, money in this world is equal to power, but money is also equal to value. And I don't know if you've heard this before. But Jesus on the cross is the greatest value statement God could have ever made over your life. Just think about this. 
If I go to the shop today and I buy a Coke, Coke's probably worth 20 bucks. Let's say it's 20 bucks for, for my two liter. So Coke equals 20 rands. If you think about what God paid for you, just put your name on the side where Coke was, Lorraine, equal sign, what should stand on the other side? What's the value of me? What's the number? The reality is God that never put a number next to your name. He put another name. And he said, that name is my son. That's the value that I place on your life. And if I'm willing to give my son, why would I not be willing to provide in every single need that you have? Why don't you trust me? You can trust me in this. Make me the Lord of your life. And see. See how good and how wonderful and how amazing I am. I am a good father. Knowing what my children need even before they ask. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being good. Thank you for looking after your children, knowing what we need even before we ask. And God, I want to pray today where there might be people listening to this, where they are confronted with serious money troubles, some of them being budget troubles and some of them being heart troubles. Father, I come and pray that they would discover and surrender in this moment to the solution to all of their problems, all of their troubles. And that is to bow down to you. Then they need not worry. For you are good and your goodness knows no end. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.